0: mm <clears throat> <clears throat>
1: Hello, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Addiction Talk. We have a very special panel for you today as we're talking about addiction in the family. I'm gonna introduce my panelists joining us today, We have Deborah Toronto. Um, She's a writer, a professor, and a mom of three who um, lost her daughter to addiction. She's going to be sharing her journey. We have Nadia Davis. Um, She's a sober mom, and she's an author. She has a memoir, um, Home is Within You. And we also have Anita Lee. She's been sober for 10-plus years. She'll be sharing her journey, and we'll also be able to hear more about her YouTube channel, Anita Candidly. Addiction Talk starts now.
0: In short, any problem that I've ever had, drinking was pretty much involved.
1: Didn't have a care in the world. And
2: then, you know, found opiates. I think I really just had fear of getting sober. I think that was my, like, I didn't know how to live any other way. Drugs and alcohol were my
0: solution.
1: Thank you again for joining us for this edition of Addiction Talk. We're going to be bringing my panelists up now as we delve into a very important conversation today about family and addiction. So, Deborah, you know, I first want to start with you because we want to hear your personal story and how addiction has impacted your family And as we delve into this conversation, I think the root of it, of where you started and even all of our panelists tonight is so important. So Deborah, share a little bit about your journey and your family's journey with addiction.
3: All right, Uh, well, I have three children and um, it started when my daughter was in high school. I um, could smell the pot and my son um, to the right, he's two years younger and the one in the middle is um, six years younger than her. And so they um, she would babysit with her friends and they grew up in this environment. And as much as I tried to stop it, uh, my husband was more of um, an enabler. And oh, it's only pot. Don't worry about it. Well, by the time she got to college, it was more than pot. It was cocaine. And then my son went into pills and um, my husband was drinking. So it, it was getting bombarded from all ends. And um, I was the person holding up the uh, get out of jail free sign uh, by myself. And, and that was tough. So uh it just spiraled. It, it started from the 1990s and then she passed away in 2016. And then uh, after she passed away, my younger son overdosed twice in the hospital. And that's when I said, that's it. You know, you're going. And uh, and I took him to a, a rehab center and I didn't look back. I just said goodbye. But, you know, it's it's been ongoing uh, with them. Um since they were young adolescents and every time i tried to stop it break a a a bong or throw the pot out sweep the cocaine away it just did seem it festered it was such a bad time on staten island um, and everywhere they turned it it almost seemed like uh, it was just a helpless situation everyone on my block, which was mostly family—not everyone, but a lot of um, a lot of people—were doing it in the neighborhood. So um, it was frustrating to say the least. Uh, and and then, I mean, it culminated in four years. I lost my husband. Um, my mother died in between that. Then my daughter. I had to sell my house. So, wow,
1: Deborah, just a lot. And we'll get more into your story. But first of all, of course, our condolences for your husband and your daughter, losing your daughter to addiction. So first, I want to commend you for being able to share your story, because we know through sharing stories, maybe we'll be able to help some other family through your journey. So Mm -hmm. I look forward to more talking to you about this and giving insight on what you went through. So now I'm going to go to Nadia. Nadia, you were actually the person who struggled yourself with this. So tell me about how addiction and your journey has impacted your family. So I believe
2: that the most important role as a mother of three sons and something that I did not get as a child is to teach my children, you know, what their true nature is and their true selves. And the book is called home is within you because of that grounding, you know, that grounding and knowing what we really are, which is infinite spirits. And then we have addiction and in between, is our mind working um you know with sending thoughts and also the system getting involved and so my story began with a lot of unaddressed childhood trauma um you know molestation a violent sexual assault um then there was a lot of death and loss very abruptly um my father, um, a kid that I represented that was freed and that was innocent, um, a child, uh, and a lot of other things that were just back to back out of the blue. And because the mental health, I was also in a near death car accident and um, broke twenty two bones and got right back, you know, out of a wheelchair and worked. Didn't realize that impact. Um, I started self medicating, and. It became a drug addiction, which led to a drug addiction. And once my mind was in complete control, the shame began. Then the system got involved and everything needed to be focused outside of me. The relapses and the alcohol, I did get sober from a drug much earlier before alcohol, um, just manifested this outside existence you know, I needed to check all of the to do's, be OK in front of a judge, act OK, even though inside, you know, the pain was like screaming and the, the part that was lost and, and or was not there was the presence to just return to the true self and the fact like nothing in my spirit has changed regardless of any of this. And so the struggles and the relapses were very much due to that. Um, It was a long, long, arduous, layered path. And I want to encourage those that are struggling, you know, every relapse, you go right back in and continue your work. Shame is the most powerful weapon of our mind. And, you know, pick yourself back up, focus on what you truly are inside, which is whole, perfect and complete in your soul. And. That will help you stay sober and then be a more present, you know, conscious, authentic parent with your children. And you can teach them those same skills to connect to that truth inside them.
1: Well, Nadia, I think that's so powerful. And I can even just see you're a deep person, like even as you're talking, that you <laughs> you, you go back to within. And, and I love that you've been able to share your journey through this memoir, Home is Within, because I think, you know, just being able to hear it and even be able to give that to your sons, what you didn't get, I think it's so powerful. So I look forward to talking more about your perspective in all of this. And Anita, you know, you also 10 plus years in sobriety. I'm sure this impacted your family. Tell me in your own words, how your journey has been with this.
0: Well, um, I didn't know a lot about alcoholism before I went to rehab. I thought alcoholism was a problem of the mental, and I had no idea it included physical and that it affected everyone around me. I um, I drank. Too numb, and I I have experienced many of the things that Nadia mentioned, and so to the way I learned to cope was to always look like everything was okay, and so the alcohol became the comfort for myself after the day was done, and it spiraled into. Um, not being able to communicate well with my family and um they pretty much just let me roll they just let me Mm. do what I was doing but they backed away slowly and so I came to understand that I needed help and I got it I went to rehab and um And got the help I needed and have been, you know, enjoying life since and constantly learning and learning the things, again, that Nadia spoke of in terms of it is within. And um, I do a lot of checking myself and realizing when I am perpetrating my emotions onto the world or whatever situation I'm in.
1: Wow, that's really powerful, Anita. And so I know you also have been using your YouTube channel as a way to share your journey and to help other people connect to this. And, you know, thriving through sobriety, I think is a big deal. And what you're doing, we want to commend you on the fact that you're trying to share this. And that's what this panel today is all about. So ladies, I really want to delve in now that we've shared more of your personal journey. So Deborah, I want to start with you and everyone feel free to to chime in on this. Mm -hmm. You know, when many people think about addiction, they think that it just impacts the individual. all the focus is on the individual a lot of times. But why do we really need to be thinking about addiction as a family disease? It's not just the individual.
3: Um, Because it does affect the entire family. Uh, as, As the mother of three children that were doing drugs and a husband that was drinking, I was the only one in the house that was sober. And I was running around like a chicken without a head, trying to keep the family together, trying to get them to sit down at the dinner table. In the meantime, they were just running havoc, Um, car crashes and, uh, you know, tickets and probation. Not so much my daughter, actually. She was away at college when most of that craziness was going on. Um, But it affected me in a way where I didn't want to leave the house. I didn't want to go out. I couldn't drink or have anything because I needed to stay sober. And um, I was, I didn't sleep. I was always looking out the window, waiting for the next penny to drop, waiting for the next police car to show up. It was a nightmare. And um, that's why when I was emotional, I was, an emotional hostage. They knew how to get me. They knew how to make me cower. I was literally at one point afraid of my sons. Not that I thought they would physically harm me, but the mental abuse was awful. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if they were high, I, I knew I couldn't engage with them because it would just turn into a big fight. And I, how could you win against someone who was drunk or high? You know, it just, there was no winning. Um, Families need to be aware that I think the first rule of thumb is try not to engage with them when they're high. Um, Try and keep some sort of semblance of patience. Uh, And then afterwards, you know, figure out a plan, a plan of action and, and, that took a while for me to figure that out because I was so afraid. Um, mm-hmm. I spoke to people. They would tell me what to do. But by that time, I had been so abused mentally that I would yes them to, yes, okay, I'll do this. I, you know, I'll, I'll go, to, go get help. I'll call someone on the phone. Um, unfortunately, you know, it took tragedy to uh, really bring me out of it. And, and I think that's why when I found my daughter's diary and I started to put it together with my voice and my son's and her voice, um, I want to publish it because I think it's important for people to hear the story of, of a family that fell apart and is trying to rebuild its way back.
1: No, I think that's really powerful. And I want to stay in you one more second, Deborah, because if someone just joining us, I know your daughter died from addiction, from an overdose, and you found her diary. Yes. And so you've been turning that into us, you know, you're pu- planning to publish that along with right. other stuff. And what do you it, hope people will learn from just you being able to share that?
3: Well, you know, addicts are so, so great at hiding things. And um, that was one. when I read her diary, it I just couldn't believe some of the stuff. It was so difficult to read it. Um, and then when I read the responses that my son wrote, uh, both of them, about their active parts in drugs, here I thought I knew everything that was going on, like they weren't slipping anything by me. But uh, it it was it was horrifying. It took a long time for me to be able to read through this. So it's called The Beginning, The Middle, No End. Because mm. as we know with addiction, and as Nadia said, you know, you can relapse once. You're, you can relapse 20 times. The point is you have to keep working at it because um, every day is a blessing. And um and that's why you know I figured the title worked well because it tells us the beginning, the root of our problem, and then you know what happened in the middle, how everything disintegrated, and then um, the and day. the fact that you know the boys are still they're healthy, and they're working towards their sobriety, and I'm um, yeah. sleeping better. <laughs> well, I know
1: you've touched on so many golden nuggets there that I think people can take away from that, that sometimes you don't know. So Nadia, I want to go back to you with your own story. When you hear what Deborah is saying and, you know, just the impact that it had, how does it relate to your own story or what has your journey showed you about the role of family?
2: So Deborah, first of all, my heart is with you. Um, Thank you. Okay. And um, in my a birth family, uh, there were seven of us in a nine year span. so um, uh, I didn't witness my father's drinking. I, my father was my hero and there, they may speak otherwise in terms of how it affected the birth family. But I know at the core was not being able to build a healthy attachment system. And so for my children today, um, you know, I'm, I'm, we say we're grateful alcoholics. I am a grateful trauma survivor because I can now know how important it is for my children to be able to grow healthy attachments, to, to heal from the own trauma that they have experienced from being separated by them, from the arguments with, you know, their father and I, from surges of crying and suicidality because I didn't know how to deal with the pain and so I would have a drink. A lot of my, all of my, my issues with addiction began much later in life, you know, much later, not, not as a young human being. Human being, I'm still young, right? <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but the, the core thing for me in terms of how it affected our family and, and me and their father now co-parent really well and how it affects my children today and, and me today is to try and build healthy attachment. Because when we don't have healthy attachment, I learned in trauma therapy, you know, our instinctive defenses and the way our mind works will go on, will overreact. And I now uh, know the parts of me that are the fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. Um I can see it in my children. um so, so being aware of it, because I'm sober, you know, I can sit back and, and observe and watch and let them know I see you, I hear you, you know, it's okay, get it out. Um, you know if if I had had that experience as a child, um, where there wasn't mental health issues and addiction or alcoholism, um I think my approach, to pain in life would have been very different. Mm-hmm. Um, once the cycle of the running begins, mm-hmm. your disease is, is in high, you know, on high gear. And I am so susceptible, so susceptible to my uh, substance abuse disorder and my mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for mm-hmm. me, It affects families in terms of building a healthy attachment. Once we are sober, we can work to create that. And it sounds like very much so that that's what's happening between you and your sons. And,
1: and that's kind of the beauty of the full circle. Mm -hmm. Um, So. Well, I commend you first for breaking the cycle because you said it started, you know, when you think about your family and then you, but trying to change that. And I think that's really powerful. And we're going to give some tips here as we go along. But Anita, I want to come to you because you said something really powerful that once you really got in the throes of your alcohol addiction, your family backed away. That you almost felt like you were by yourself. Well, was that helpful or hurtful to you and What advice would you give to others based on your experience with that?
0: Well, for me, it was probably more helpful than hurtful Mm. because I am stubborn. I already know everything, or at least I thought I did, you know. And if anyone had tried to assert their opinion or knowledge on me, I would have gone deeper. I would have it it would have probably harmed me more. Um so it was intuitive of them to back away and the feeling of loneliness and seclusion is what got my attention mm. and I knew that wasn't how I intended my life to be. And so um, I was clever. I was uh, very high functioning. And so waiting for someone to actively approach me, I knew was not likely. Mm -hmm. It did eventually happen because I kept telling on myself. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I wanted help, but I didn't know I wanted help and I didn't know how to ask for it. And so... The backing away helped me to assess myself and to start with some honesty for myself.
1: I love that because even as you guys are saying that, as I look at that, you said you wanted help, but you didn't know how to get it. And so you were hoping someone would say something, do something. And I think that's a place that a lot of families are in. So I want to go into this conversation and whoever wants to take this one, enabling versus supporting. You know, for Anita, she said that backing away and her kind of having this revelation on her own that this isn't the life I want to live was like her wake up call. But how do we know that fine line? Who wants to start with that? How do you what's the fine line between enabling and supporting? I, I believe um, the answer
2: to that is found uh, in the choosing to not focus and judge the behaviors to ask what is happening underneath, you know, where, you know, I see you Anita, you know, what, what, what is happening in your heart? And I think that that for me was the hardest thing. So people, you know, there were, there were boundaries being set, um, and, um, you know, enabling in terms of being able to, to, as a mother, I was being supported. Um, and so yet if I wasn't able to say to myself, you're in a severe depression, um, you're drinking because of it, you know, you're having flashbacks and can't sleep at night. Um, when you're in that and, and, and you don't recognize it and then the behaviors because of it are focused on, um, and then the boundaries and the, the cutting off uh, happens, which I was lucky that it didn't happen a lot, um, but it did by the system. Um, that was the most difficult part versus, versus professionals as well as family members saying, what's happening underneath the surface? What's mm-hmm. causing you dip. to pick
1: up and run to stand still? Correct. I love that because you said like people not judging because I do think with addiction, there's a lot of stigma. You know, when, if somebody broke their arm or they were dealing with cancer or something like that, a lot of times people are like, oh, they come to the person's rescue. But when we're dealing with addiction, people sometimes think, well, they want to do this. Well, you know, they don't always look at it as a disease. And so I think that can mm-hmm. be so challenging. Were you going to say something there, Nadia?
2: Yeah, but the, the, the family member who has this, they need support. And so, you know, um, I mean, there are so many different programs, but but it's a scary situation. So, you know, if there is opportunity for treatment where there, there could be regular contact with your children so that they're not traumatized and the system is supporting places of vulnerability, which is, I think, definitely where, where we need to go, um, then, you know, uh, there's safety for the immediate family member to do their own healing that who has been affected by, by the addict or alcoholic um, mm-hmm. while somebody is able to be in a safe place, to be vulnerable and to do the hard work. Right. Um, and if you are a parent where the connection with your child is allowed or you, or there's places and that you have there's that ability one, two in the nation. one is in Southern California, new directions for women that allows women to bring their children, which I did go to for a short time. Um, and so that's you know, but with members who are not the parent, who may be a spouse, um, you know, having the ability to to go to Al-Anon and support groups, and have someone by your side as you're implementing these boundaries and helping the person to say, "With well, what is going on? Okay, let's bring you to a therapist mm-hmm. that you need like to go to."
1: Correct. Yeah, because we hear you, um, Nadia, as you're saying that, like having that whole support system, that whole, you know, place not only just for yes. the individual, but the for the family. The whole and so family. De- the whole family the needs whole that family. So critical. And Deborah,
0: go ahead. I'm sorry. Go Is ahead, Anita. We hear I you. Think, um the situations where the person with the addiction isn't happily going or willing or even acknowledging. The problem, right. the f- I think it's more important after trying to assist that person to focus on yourself and do uh, what Nadia said, get the alanine, create your own support, right, so that you are able to interact with the addict, right, in and a, a way that people. keeps you safe.
1: Well, let me tie in Deborah here because mm-hmm. Deborah does bring a unique experience from the parent side of having to watch this, you know, with her own children and then losing her daughter to this. So, Deborah, from your perspective, I know that must have been difficult because you said you would look out the window, right? And you're waiting for the ball to drop or the penny to drop. And so, and then you want to help and you're like, what do you say? How do you say it? For you, yeah. what did you learn from your journey if you were looking back and you were talking to a parent tonight? Would there be anything that you would have done differently? And what did you feel you learned from your own experience?
3: Um, First thing is don't be ashamed. Um, I, I, we had dinner as a family every night. I would take my kids on vacation. My husband would be working. I didn't realize he was, you know, maybe drinking more than usual, but the kids went to good schools. Um, they really they had a great life. We had a beautiful home, we traveled. And then the bottom just started to deteriorate and I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. How could this be happening? You know, I don't understand what's wrong. And like Nadia said, I I tried to keep those lines of communication open and uh, took them to therapy. I took all three of them at different times. And and finally, my therapist said, you know, you need to have boundaries. And then when things were missing from the house, expensive things, jewelry and whatnot, and money, I had to put a lock on my bedroom door. And hmm. that just tore me apart. Why? I have to lock my children out. And that was where the kids used to come and jump into bed and, you know, we'd watch TV and, and that was off limits. And then I had to start changing locks around the house and, and putting an alarm system in. And, and it just got to be so crazy that what I would say, first of all is don't be afraid and don't be ashamed because Mm -hmm. the more you are the likelihood of a tragedy occurring will. And I was, I was afraid to confront my daughter. You know, she'd call me up from Florida and she wanted to borrow money and I would send it to her. She'd always pay me back, but I didn't know. I mean, she's making a good salary. Why would she need this money? But I figured I was helping her. I wasn't helping her. I was enabling her. Had I said no, it would have killed me. But it may have saved her, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's the other thing: you can't you can't blame yourself. They make these choices once they're in. Like um, Anita was saying, once they're in the thick of it, and they've made the choice to do the drugs, Mm -hmm. the only way to get them out of it is to get them help. Anita was fortunate; she realized this. With younger people. A lot of times they don't, you know, this is not the case because all their friends are doing it. I mean, the thing I would stress for parents is don't be afraid, be the parent, Mm. stand up.
2: That's good.
1: Don't be afraid, be a parent, stand up to them. So as we kind of go through this conversation a little bit more, we've touched on some really powerful things, um, enabling versus um, supporting. You've talked about just your own. Um, message through this. So I know all of you are very instrumental in the work that you're doing. What if there was two or three messages that you're trying to get out there through your work? And I'm going to start with you, Anita. If there are two or three messages that you are trying to really hit home with individuals or families, what would they be from your work?
0: Um, The first would be everything is possible. Mm. You can save yourself. And There's someone who has an interest in you and cares whether or not you succeed, even though it may feel like there's no one. And I think um, support, a gentle support is what I try to offer. And I do that through trying to share my experiences and saying, look, look how messed up it was and look how beautiful it is. You know, so I try to go back and forth and say this was a hot mess and then go look at what is happening in my life today. And the possibilities are endless and don't try to figure out what the possibilities are because your mind cannot imagine all the greatness available to you.
1: I love that. So what about you, Nadia? If there were three things or two or three things that you hope people will get from reading your book or from interacting with you, what would be those two to three things that you'd want to leave with them?
2: That the end is often the beginning.
1: Mm.
2: And that there's so many answers in, in our beginning from childhood and that, you know, we're all connected in our true selves and in infinite spirits and nothing in this life can break that can break love, you know, past, present, future. We are infinite souls. And so right now in this life, we can do one thing very powerfully, which is
1: ask for help. Hmm. Oh, that's good, Nadia. Very good. I love that. Ask for help. You have one powerful decision that you can make. Ask for help. Absolutely. And Deborah, yeah, I think that's such a critical point that you're making. And Deborah, um, what about two or three things for you? If there's from the work that you do, I know you're in the process of putting this diary together um, from your daughter, but if there were two to three things that you hope will come out of this, well, let me know I, what that would be. I
3: think the, the first thing um, is that, We have to understand that the addiction is not so much physical as it is mental. And when we're treating the addict, that's what you have to concentrate on because eight days detox and they're back on the street and they have no place to go. And they go to outpatient, but they, in most cases they fail. So in order to really help the addict we need to address the mental issues. And as Nadia says, this this goes sometimes all the way back, things that I wasn't even aware of, you know. um, Mm -hmm. Their father's alcoholism affected them without a doubt. Um, Him asking them to lie for him and then covering up for them. I mean, it was just a vicious cycle. Um, Again, the other thing would be don't be afraid. Um, Stand up. To it, and that is frightening in itself. Mm-hmm. To find the courage, especially when everything seems to be crashing down around you, um, and and ask for help. Oh, just you know, ask for help. But I I think what my book will really bring out is the fact that they've been through recovery um, several times, more more times than than you could count on two hands, and. It took a tragedy to really start the process going. And, um, and it took going to Karen Renaissance in Florida, where they have this mental health program that goes with it, where, I mean, they really dig deep down inside each addict. And the family must be a part of it. We were... No. I was forced to be there. Otherwise, my son couldn't go through it. And I had Mm -hmm. i spent a week. It was grueling, just grueling. But I came away so much stronger because it was all out in the open then. You know, there are no more secrets. No more Mm -hmm. secrets. And I
1: think that's so powerful, as you said that, because I know in American Addiction Centers, you know, we make sure that we treat the mental health. And the addiction because yes. they go hand in hand, yes. they co-occur, and so and bringing in the family. So, thank you for sharing your experience with you know another treatment center and how that helped you, and how we need to address both. And how we need to create a place for a family. And it's been so enlightening. And so I just want to end with one final thing, because I know we're running close on our time here. I want to share where you are today, because we've talked about the hard part. We've talked about the challenges. We've talked about enabling versus supporting. But I also want to end with some hope. Because there are people out here today who may feel hopeless in your stories, even though there's been loss or even though there's been, you know, times where you were separated from your children. All of you are standing here today as testaments of hope. So I want to end and I'll start with you, Anita, um, and we'll work our way backwards. Where are you today? And if you were to give that message of hope to someone else, tell me about that.
0: Today, I am. Living a joyful life. (laughs) I'm thriving, as I say on my channel. I found recently, well, what happened is I went through a process of changing my beliefs, which meant I had to learn new beliefs or tell new stories to myself to create the belief. And I think I've done that quite successfully, but that's ongoing. Um, And I, what has happened throughout the journey is first of creativity have mm-hmm. been I've been able to um, recognize and use the creativity that I have and that has culminated in a YouTube channel and Etsy shop now just t- two weeks ago I started publishing journals on Amazon and planner Wow. So, It's just growing and growing into more creativity, but it is a live example of what I said that I could never have seen this coming. I didn't know this was part of me. And so the sobriety gave me the clarity to look for the path that I thought I wanted to be on. And so I'd say, once you have the clarity and... As Deborah has Possibilities said, are I'm facing the fear, I look, I allow my fear now, and I used to try to bury it or hide it, and I think that is the biggest um, positive I've gotten out of this is learning to face the fear and knowing that I am protected. The universe has my back, and. Mm-hmm. The fear is just a st- based on the story and I can change the story and move on.
1: I love that. Anita, what I touch, what touched me about that is you can change your story. And the fact that through your sobriety, you've created and tapped into these amazing parts of yourself and doing an Etsy job, Etsy shop at a YouTube channel and all of that. So thank you so much for sharing. And Nadia, going to you, where are you today? What is the hope that you bring? So from
2: the depths of darkness and, you know, a suicide attempt, suicidality, uh, jail, treatment multiple times, court systems, today I live wholeheartedly Mm -hmm. and authentically. And I actually would, can I read the last paragraph of the book? Sure. It's, um, it was a seven year journey to get to this place. From darkness and despair, there is freedom from my mind's trickery and bondage. With daily spiritual and recovery-focused practices, the love of true friends, the fellowship, and my kundalini yoga family, I can do this life, one day at a time, and stay healthy, safe, and grounded. There will be hard days, painful memories will still come, but they no longer choke me. There is less fear, shame, and blame. Life is no longer a struggle, but rather an adventure. Life is no longer lived in the past, but in the present. Today, I hold my children living wholeheartedly, connected to the truth
1: and home within me. Love that. That gave me chills, just you reading that. Just, it just touched me in such a special way, Nadia. So thank you for sharing that. And then finally, Deborah, you know, I want to end with you. Um, you've been through a lot. In these Mm -hmm. last years, you know, you mentioned losing your husband, your daughter to an overdose, but now you said your sons are thriving. So in the midst of that, have you been able to find hope
3: and meaning? I have. Um, It's interesting because I was so codependent on them. It was I had my own addiction and that was to be attached to them. And um, I have a new lease on life. I, Mm. um, I have a new partner that cares for me and, and is mm. my rock. Mm. And my sons tell me, mom, it's okay. We got it. We'll handle it. And I makes me a little jittery, but I've learned one thing from Karen, boundaries, back away and let them grow up. And, and that's what they're doing. You know, when you take drugs or uh, it, alcohol, it sets you back. You stop growing at that point. And they are catching up to where they should Mm -hmm. be. They're in their 30s. They're catching up to where they should be. And um, it gives me a lot of hope when I see my son with his two little girls and I see my Mm -hmm. other son thriving. Um, I I hope this book uh, comes out this year. Um, I'm very excited about it. I believe that my daughter's words need to be told, because as parents of addicts, they are so smart. They know how to cover it up real good. And um, I think this book will help parents to, to see, you know, some of the signs to look for. But I'm very hopeful for the future.
1: Well, thank you all for sharing your journey with us and a little bit of your story. We can't tell it all, but you've given us so much to walk away with today. I'm so grateful. Thank you for coming on Addiction Talk with American Addiction Centers. We so appreciate you. And that's going to do it for another episode. Thank you all for joining us.
3: Thank you.